Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview-based podcast focused on offering listeners in-depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. Greetings and salutations to you denizens of planet Earth and beyond. Welcome to Psychedelicast. I am your host, Clinton Cayley. We certainly appreciate you for being with us once again today. We hope you appreciated last week's No Trip Sitter episode. This week, we have an interview with none other than Joe Moore, the Joe Moore of Psychedelics Today. I couldn't be more excited to offer you this interview. This is one of my favorite podcasts, uh, ranking right up there with Adventures uh, Through the Mind, featuring uh, the host James Gesso, who's previously been on the show. So uh, I can't be more excited to offer you this interview with one of the figureheads in psychedelic culture and online media and podcasting, uh, Mr. Joe Moore. We have his associate and co-host, Kyle uh, we're actually going to interview him next week. I'm not sure when his episode's going to drop, but we're going to have him on the show separately as well. So super stoked for that. This is awesome. Uh, I am. This podcast is literally offering me the opportunity to meet all of my heroes, and I really can't believe it. And I'm so thankful and honored and grateful that Joe would uh, come on the show and share his insight and his wisdom in various uh, aspects that we discussed. Um. We got a little bit of housekeeping, not too much, so let's get into that before we talk with uh, Mr. Joe Moore. Thanks, guys. If yourself or someone else that you know has any project, podcast, business, product, or service that they'd like to promote via Psychedelicast, please reach out to us at our social media taglines. Those are at Psychedelicast on Facebook and Instagram. Or you can email me directly at clintonkaylee at gmail.com. We can discuss promotional packages. We can discuss podcast ad sharing, things like that. Please reach out to me. We are interested in looking for promotions for the show. Thank you. Thanks once again, guys, for considering us for your podcast ad sharing, podcast ad trading, and your project promotion. We would love to work with you guys. Reach out to us. That being said, uh, we're making some headway uh, on the social medias. Our gathering, our pardon me, our following is growing. People are engaging. We're getting really good uh, feedback from you guys. We really appreciate it, and we really enjoy creating content on social media that you guys enjoy and uh, can relate to. We're going to continue to do that. So do us a huge favor on the social medias, Instagram and uh, Facebook. We also have a Twitter, but I just, I've never really learned how to use Twitter and I just kind of don't mess with it so much, but they're all the same at Psychedelicast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, We post a lot of stuff on Facebook and Instagram. Those are two major funnels for social media content creation. Uh, give us a follow or a like over there. Share some of our memes with your friends in the community. Uh, we really appreciate it. It helps the show to grow and expand, and it helps us to create more uh, good content for you, the listener, which is what it's all about. <clears throat> Pardon me. 
With that being said, we would like to ask you one more time, as we do on every episode, to subscribe to the show on whatever podcatching app that you utilize. Subscribe, review, drop us a few stars on there, tell your friends, share the show on social media, all that good shit. Thank you guys so much for engaging, sharing the show, and being a part of the community here at Psychedelicast. We love you for that. Let's do some psychedelic news. This is kind of a lengthy one, but it's kind of important. So um, let's do that, and then we'll get into our uh, we'll get into our interview. Thanks, guys. In psychedelic news today, we have kind of a long article for you. It's from marijuanamoment.net. Uh, it's from their politics section entitled. Oklahoma lawmakers declined to override governor's medical marijuana delivery veto. This was published uh, published 16 hours ago by Kyle Yeager. Uh, the reason why we're doing this one is because it's kind of important to uh, Texas, and it's definitely very important to our oaky neighbors to the north. Um, let's just go ahead and read the article to you. After the governor of Oklahoma vetoed a wide-ranging medical marijuana expansion bill on Thursday, Advocates mounted a last-minute push to get lawmakers in both chambers to override the action on their last day in session on Friday. But by the afternoon, the legislator adjourned for the session without taking up the proposal again. Governor Kevin Sitt, who is a Republican, took advocates by surprise when he rejected HB 3228, which had clearly, pardon me, which had cleared the legislature with impressively strong bipartisan support sufficient to override a veto. Among other things, the bill would have allowed out-of-state residents, i.e. Texans, to obtain temporary medical cannabis licenses, permitted deliveries to patients, and revised a statute to make it so any first-time marijuana possession conviction would be punishable by a fine and no jail time. House leadership reportedly lobbied the Senate to agree to take up an override vote as they knew it would pass in their chamber but didn't want to waste time if senators weren't willing to act. But around noon on Friday, Senate leadership indicated that they would not be challenging challenging the veto after all. Shortly thereafter, both chambers completed their agendas for the day and voted to adjourn sign die, leaving the veto intact. The motion to end the session technically takes effect next Friday, May 29th, so it is possible that lawmakers could take up additional legislation, including the cannabis bill, before they are finally done for the year. Advocates held out hope until the last minute about the possibility of Senate reversing course and voting on an override. Given the significant margin of passage in both chambers, they felt an override would have been achievable if they chose to hold a vote. Norma Sapp, executive director of Oklahoma Chapter Normal, said it is Senate leadership's prerogative. The only thing I can say is possibly make more phone calls to your senators. Otherwise, we're out here praying that something changes. In a veto message, Stitt wrote that HB 3228 is a lengthy bill that alters Oklahoma's medical marijuana program and, quote, the language in the bill makes substantial policy changes to the medical marijuana program that were not fully scrutinized through normal legislative procedures before the bill was received by my office in the middle of the night on Saturday. While there is much room for improvement in the way our state's program operates, this bill does not address those items in a way I can support to end his quote. While the governor declined to specify which provisions he opposes, here are the main changes the bill would have accomplished. Out-of-state individuals would have been able to apply for temporary 90-day medical cannabis patient licenses, even if they weren't a registered patient in their home state. Those licenses would have been renewable. The bill also proposed to remove a provision that requires people who aren't registered cannabis patients to state a valid medical condition if caught possessing marijuana in order to to receive a reduced misdemeanor penalty. 
Under the policy change, any person, regardless of whether they have a medical condition, would have faced a misdemeanor punishable by up to $400 and a no-jail time for first-time possession without a medical cannabis card. Another provision celebrated by reform advocates would have made it so that medical marijuana patient and caregiver records couldn't be shared with any other state agency or political subdivision without a warrant issued by a court of competent jurisdiction. The bill also proposed several other changes, such as allowing patients to pay a late fee to get their registration renewed if they missed the deadline by more than 30 days, but fewer than 90 days. For the delivery section, the legislation states that licensed dispensaries could transport cannabis products to patients' private residences as long as they were located within a 10-mile radius. If there weren't any dispensaries in that range, a dispensary more than 10 miles away could have still delivered products if they were based in the same country as the resident. It is not clear which of these proposals the governor opposed to the extent that he chose to veto it. He signed a bill establishing a regulatory framework for Oklahoma's medical cannabis program last year after voters approved a legalization ballot measure in 2018. Oklahoma activists filed a proposed ballot measure to legalize cannabis for adult usage in December. Last month, a campaign staffer said they were awaiting state Supreme Court approval to gather signatures but tempered expectations that it would be feasible to collect enough in the allotted time frame due to the coronavirus pandemic. A state lawmaker also said he would be introducing a bill to legalize recreational marijuana and argued it would, quote, potentially be a revenue funder to fill coffers diminished by the current health care crisis. Meanwhile, in Virginia, the governor signed a bill on Thursday officially making the state the 27th in the United States to decriminalize cannabis possession. I know that one was long, but I thought that was important information, especially for us Southerners, Texans, and Oklahomans. Uh, looks like it's not going to go the way we wanted to, as per the huge down here in the Bible Belt. Uh, you know, can't say that I'm surprised, can't say that I'm disappointed. Uh, can't say I'm just surprised, but I can say I'm disappointed. So, onward and upward, let's get to our interview with Mr. Joe Moore of Psychedelics Today. wonderful <clears throat> good good staying safe out there staying covid free <laughs> i'm a survivor now i think um i had it maybe four weeks ago oh really uh, it's wild um yeah i'm better now though it's fine <laughs> good. i don't think any permanent damage as good. far as i can tell good man i guess i'm surviving too i work in emergency medicine so i i keep going out uh, there and, and getting uh getting close to it but i don't think i've uh i don't think i've come in contact with a technical confirmed case yet so i've been managing. oh really interesting yeah i work in a freestanding er so we have uh, a lot of patients who come in with uh, sim- various symptoms but generally they're in an acute situation so our job is just to stabilize and get them out so a lot of times we don't know whether or not they were uh, whether they ended up being a confirmed case or not there's a good a high likelihood that many of them were but you know, mm-hmm. We usually don't hear the back end of the story. We just make sure they don't die on our watch, and then we, you know, yeah, not to be too uh, uh, dispassionate about it. But anyways, 
Welcome to Psychedelicast, man. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. I'm a huge fan of Psychedelics Today and uh, all your guys' work. So this for me is like a, like a little kid in a candy shop type deal. I just... <laughs> Good. Yeah, man. I just interviewed James Gesso as well. So that was pretty cool for me. I'm sure you know James. Yep. Yeah. We haven't met in person yet, but he's a great person. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got to interview him. That was super cool. And this is like another one of my uh, dream interviews. So thanks for coming on the show, man. Oh, you got it. Thanks for having a platform for me. Absolutely. I uh, appreciate it. I know James told me that he really enjoyed being on the other side of the microphone. So I know you as an interviewer probably don't get to do this very much. You're used to being where I'm at. So, um, yeah, it's nice to be able to chat um, and not just grill people, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, let's jump right into the heavy hitting questions. What's your favorite pizza topping? Mm, uh, I would say like I like to mince up sardines and anchovy and like no, nah, just kidding. Nah. Pizza Dude, topping. I, actually, I don't know pepper and onion. I'm pretty plain when it comes to that stuff. Pepper and onion. I actually kind of like um, like anchovies. <laughs> so most <laughs> most people don't. I don't really like them on pizza. I think it's kind of a more of a cold food thing. I like anchovies in my salad, but that's you know that's neither here nor there. Um, sorry for the lighting here, man. I just moved into a new place. So like I just threw together kind of a makeshift podcasting area for the moment. It's going to get back to its, it's going to get back to its former glory, uh, pretty soon. Good. (laughs) Absolutely. You had a studio set up in the past? Well, I mean, I wouldn't call it a studio per se, but it was like my kind Mm -hmm. of like little, it it was similar to what you're doing here. So I guess if you call it, you know, like a little office area kind of workshop space. Yeah. Um, But I I just, I'm actually in the process of moving right now. So Mm. we'll get it all set up. So tell me a little bit about uh, your own personal history, the beginnings of psychedelics today. What led you into this uh into this venture that we now all know as psychedelics today. Mm. <clears throat> Long and winding story. Yeah, um, right. You can give us the I'll kind of notes fast if you forward want to. to 2001 when I first encountered the work of Dr. Stanislav Grof, pioneering LSD psychotherapy researcher um, who worked both in Soviet Prague and in, in Maryland uh, with LSD uh, extensively. It essentially made up his whole professional career was LSD psychotherapy research. And he uh, um, came up with a non-drug method called holotropic breathwork. So um, I encountered Groff in uh, a textbook assigned to me in my intro to philosophy course called Holographic Universe. I think the author is Michael Talbot. And it was a really fascinating book. And it's all just like case studies of weird stuff that doesn't necessarily fit into our mo- our conception of reality, uh, our shared kind of consensus conception of reality, I guess, uh-huh. where everything is atoms and that's it. <laughs> it's like a linear thing from the big bang exclusively. And, um, the story that struck me in the book most was Stan Groff's story of something that looked like, um, the exorcist or poltergeist or whatnot. Like just a really scary situation um, where stuff appeared to have kind of ESP phenomenon come up, like um, the the whole facial structure changed, the voice of this young girl changed, um, like substantially, and 
um, Groff kind of stuck to his guns in this process. He knew that worked and it worked. And the person came out the other end um, a lot healthier than they were on the, the front side of it. So, you know, I, I said, okay, just, are there any books in the school library on this guy? And thankfully there were, there's mm-hmm. about 10, 10 copies of Groff books in there. And I was able to just kind of go at it. And it was extraordinary. I learned a lot about psychology, clinical psychology, Freud, Jung, um, you know, all of Groff's theories, which are very substantial and innovative, like um, a thing called the birth perinatal matrices and condensed experiences or coax systems. And uh, the fact that all of this could also come up in breath work was the thing that was really striking to me. So it's like, okay, even without drugs, this stuff can come up. So I started studying psychedelics very heavily in 2001 and started getting um, personally involved in holotropic breathwork in about 2003 with a group in Vermont. I was in New Hampshire at the time. And it's just been my passion ever since, really. And Kyle and I, the co-host of Psychedelics Today, uh, and I got linked up through our breathwork teachers in Vermont. I moved away from the area right around the time Kyle got involved with them. And uh, they were kind of shocked we didn't know each other and kind of just insisted we chat. So I started linking up with Kyle maybe five years ago, and we started the podcast about four years ago. And that's kind of the origin story. And the goal was to bring Breathwork and Groff back into the psychedelic conversation because we regularly saw that Groff was ignored. Okay. Um, and it seemed like a really big problem to me. Interesting. So I am familiar with the term holotropic Breathwork, and I – I have a vague idea, a vague understanding of what it is, and I've started to kind of uh, explore that and research that myself just as an aside here. Um, I'm just now dipping my toe into the waters of working with breath and uh, learning just how to actually do it and the different styles of breathing and things like that. And I can say that I've heard people mentioned things like this before that you can use these breathing techniques to have these profound experiences you can go very deep into your meditation very into a very introspective place and i i had even heard some people say that you can access dmt-esque or dmt-like realms via breathing practices so i and my initial thought is that's bullshit there's no way that you can um you can elicit the type of experience that uh vaporizing DMT elicits through breathing um, techniques. But I started to kind of work with it and I've, like I said, my understanding is very, very novice at best. But um, in the last, I'd say I really began to, to work on it in January and I've kind of just made it a daily practice just to practice with it, read about it, do some Wim Hof type stuff, just really basic. But I've had some pretty profound experiences, particularly in the last month where I've uh, been working with my breath and meditating, and I've been able to go or I've been able to reach a place um, that's really, really deep beyond any other meditation that I've done in the past or anything like that. So I'm slowly but surely kind of starting to uh, become less skeptical in that aspect and actually um, utilize it for myself. And it's very... Uh, it's very grounding. It's very mentally. Um, it's, it's it's a good practice for me mentally. It's something that actually I wasn't even interested in until a, a recent ayahuasca experience, and I was noticing the people around me who seemed to be 
knowledgeable or at least somewhat experienced with ayahuasca were using a lot of breathing techniques during the ceremony. And uh, that was something I was like, oh, okay, so these guys seem to know how to navigate this realm a little bit better. And their breathing practices seem to be significantly helping them during this time that, you know, during difficult or intense moments of the ceremony. So uh, I found, you know, I'm just now kind of dipping my toe into that uh, breathwork world. And it's it's pretty intriguing. I agree. So, so holotropic breathwork is a method made up of five parts, um, accelerated breathing, um, evocative music, group process. So it's never really done one-on-one -on -one or solo. It's, it's kind of a bad idea to do it solo. Um, artistic expression and body work. So you actually capture your thing on paper when you're done in some way. It could be stick figures or fancy fine art. Um, and then body work. Your body remembers a lot of stuff. So we'll actually do some participatory body work. It's very optional. <clears throat> in fact, I try to make sure we don't do it with people unless it looks really like we should. Um, cause people can get a little confused and pulled out of their, their kind of process arc. And I don't, I, I don't necessarily want to be the one that pulls them out of it. Like my, my job is to figure out how to keep them in it, keep them comfortable and keep them sticking with whatever's happening inside of them for as long as possible. And um, you know, that's the, that's the method. Um, the breathing is just really big in and out breaths, no pause at the top and bottom. Uh, you want to get into the residual capacity of your lungs. And the general rule is you, you want to move more cubic inches of air than you do normally. Um, and you're laying down with a pillow. Like if you pass out from hyperventilation or whatever, like worst thing that happens is nothing. Um, typically, uh, you fall over and hit your head if you're standing up, but you're laying down. So minimal to no risk there. Um, I like it because it's drug free. So what I've, my peak breathwork experience was as intense as my only ayahuasca experience, which was extraordinarily intense. Mm -hmm. And um, it lasted five hours. And the interesting thing is, so no drugs whatsoever. I was hallucinating or having um, visions. I don't, I don't like the term hallucinating. Um, having visions before I even started doing accelerated breathing, before my head even hit the pillow. Um, and it was just a, a, a wild ride um, through the cosmos. And this is something that we hear quite often is that my breathwork experience was as intense or as vivid as an LSD experience I had in the past or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, I, I had a accidental LSD overdose <laughs> last summer and, um, <laughs> it was not as intense for me as my, uh, extreme breathwork session. So that was like eight to 12 hits of acid, roughly. Um, not as intense. Wow. Yeah. It was wild. <laughs> it was definitely a big deal, but it was, yeah. yeah, a very interesting scenario. That is crazy. Uh, I was sitting on my porch uh, probably about a week, 10 days ago, and I was doing my thing. And uh, like I said, since I'm novice, I'm not, you know, I don't have a, a perfect routine down, but uh, I'm doing my thing and I'm, and I'm pretty well deep into it. And uh, I have a pretty intense closed eye thing where I've gone into this state of like no mindedness, which is. I've kind of just been trying to get to that point through the meditation and breath work where I can just quiet my, my own mind. So I finally had like achieved that state. And then I'm having these like thrumming, like electric 
like CEVs that are kind of flowing with my breath. So I'm working with that for a few minutes and I finally kind of get to the point where I'm like, okay, the music's winding down. Like I'm kind of coming back to a baseline type state. And uh, I go back inside after I'm all done. And my girlfriend, my partner is like, uh, what were you doing out there? And I was like, I was just like breathing and meditating. And I really got to like this, I kind of went really deep and I didn't even mean to, like I was just practicing. And she was like, yeah, I could, I could feel that from in here. I could feel that something was going on out there. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. (laughs) She was just like sitting on, she was like sitting on the couch, like folding the laundry or watching TV or something. And, you know, she didn't even know what I was doing out there. So I was like, okay, that's, that's bizarre. And without prompting, she, Mm. she asked me, she's like, yeah, I could feel something interesting was going on out there. So that was a kind of a weird Mm. experience, you know? Yeah, no, it's interesting when, when people can notice from far out. Um, and I, I don't know how to phrase this, but some people are more sensitive than others to, um, you know, strange happenings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say what those strange happenings are other than strange. Sure. <laughs> but, sure. You know, that's for other people. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting. And just a, one, one more small anecdote from my, my recent work in this area is one day I was trying to explain to her just, she was curious about what I was doing because she could hear me like kind of hyperventilating and huffing and then slowing down and this and that. So she's like, what is it that you're doing? And I was like, well, I can show you kind of like what I'm doing real quick if you want to, if you want to see how it goes. And so I showed her kind of like my Wim Hof breathing method technique followed by like some slower breathing, this and that. And, and just Mm -hmm. me trying to like kind of make an example for her. I ended up having a very profound emotional experience. I like broke down crying for a few minutes and she was like, what's the matter? I'm like, I don't know. I just like something just kind of broke loose in me on accident. And, uh, and so I've had a couple of like really, um, interesting experiences just in the, in the few, um, practice, you know, the few months of practice that I've had. So I'm definitely going to follow that rabbit, I think a little further. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, and that's kind of the point, right? Like these accidental things are your body kind of, or your mind body kind of, um, relaxing and letting this stuff come out, um, that perhaps you haven't been able to let out for a long time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's the body wants to heal. This is one of the fundamental things about the work of Groff, um, LSD psychotherapy and breath work your body, your mind body kind of combined into one thing is, has a healing intelligence the same way a wound can heal. Your mind can also heal. And you just need to set the right scenario for it. You don't want to slap some like, you know, dirt or dog shit in there. You want to slap in some, you know, a bandage and make sure it's clean (laughs) and maybe some other stuff to, you know, take care of the microbes and, uh-huh. you know, very similarly with your, your mind, you set the stage for your mind to heal and your mind can go there. Um, it's called holo holotropic states, what uh, moving towards wholeness and just another way of saying healing in a lot of ways. Very interesting. Very interesting. So that's mm-hmm. what led you down this path. That's crazy that I see for me, it's kind of like reversed. You know, I started with my psychedelic experimentation, like as a teenager, like probably like majority of people do. 
I just had a coworker one day who was like, yo, dude, we're going to take shrooms tonight. And I'm like, shrooms, what are, what are shrooms? And then, uh, and then, you know, I, <laughs> I have this uh, initial experience with psilocybin when I'm probably 17 and I'm like, oh, this is, uh, you, okay. So you guys are taking this to try to like have fun, but like instantly I'm aware that this is, you know, a, a tool beyond recreation. Um, and so that kind of over time led me into all these other uh, interest, these aspect, these uh, aspects of interest of mine. And uh, it's interesting that you kind of did it in reverse, but I guess, you know, you, you get in where you fit in, right? <laughs> Amen. It's yeah. interesting because I didn't really, I think I was growing mushrooms before I even ate or drank ayahuasca. I think I tried to eat my mushrooms a couple times. It didn't fly for some reason. Uh, flew on other people. So maybe it's something with my GI, but who knows? And it was probably six, seven, eight years into my breathwork career before I even had ayahuasca. Yeah. So I was surrounded by all these psychedelic people and reading a lot of these psychedelic books and um, not eating psychedelics. Yeah. Um, things have certainly changed for me now, but... Um, yeah. Like I'm, I'm certainly like really interested in the therapeutic applications, the applications for creativity, but I also think like fun and celebration is quite valid. Sure. Um, you've got to really do it skillfully, uh, because there's a lot of room for error, uh, or not a lot of, well, I don't know. There's <laughs> bad things can happen. You know, call it that. I, and I, we just got to be a little careful and be ready for it. I agree with you. Um, I always find it funny that like I've had all these years of psychedelic experience um, at, diff at various stages and with various uh, compounds and various plants and this, that, and the third, various dosages. Um, but I, I come across these people now that are like just – they were like me when I was like 18. They're just fearless, you know, and they're like – I'm like, is that bravery? Is that fearlessness? Is that stupidity? Is that, or is that like just an, an, un, um, that they don't understand like the levels of magnitude that are there. Um, because now it's like the, the further I go, the more kind of hesitancy that I feel or the more kind of buildup it, it takes me to, I have to steal myself more and more, you know? And then I, I just meet mm -hmm. these people who are like, they can take it. They can handle any dose. I'll take five, seven, ten grams. This, that, and the third. Um, and I, I always find that interesting. Like, what is that about people that make them or give them the capability to withstand this, or even to see it in a perspective like maybe I'm just looking at it in too serious of a way? You know what I'm saying? Like. They just look at it like they're going to go trip and have a good time. I'm like, I understand that this is about to be a, probably a life-altering experience. And I think maybe those different that difference in the two perspective allows certain people to undergo these things more readily because maybe they just don't weight it as heavily as, as I weight it, maybe. <clears throat> yeah. You know, this, this topic of dose is really interesting and – I, Amanda Fielding, who was a really big pioneer. Do you know of her yet? The name is familiar. I'm, I can't uh, connect her off the yeah. top of my head. No worries. She runs this big um, UK nonprofit, Beckley Foundation. We just came out with an episode with her today, actually. She 
in the past was just saying that dosages in the 60s were idiotic. So like, whereas we have 100 micrograms <clears throat> approximately on a hit of acid these days, back then it was 200, 250. And people were often taking a lot more than that. And that's what they thought acid was, like these high dose things. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily true. Like the, the dose response curve is really interesting. And this, you know, not psychedelics aren't necessarily dose dependent even. Um, like I know somebody that can have CBD and have like pretty serious hallucinations wow. or like visions, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't really be the case, but it for some, some reason is. And you know, what is that? I don't, I don't know. Um, so it's, you know, and, and do we want to respect people that can take high doses, you know, perhaps, but is it recreational? Are they doing eyes closed or what are they doing? Like I, I met a dude once who did, um, he did 15 hits, like had his girlfriend drop him off in the woods and he showed up like two days later, <laughs> like back at home. <laughs> and like, that was his, his like planned spirit quest. Like this is, this is my like vision quest to like, you know, find whatever he's looking for. I'm like, it's, you know, it's interesting and everybody finds their own way. Um, you know, some people want to latch on to an indigenous tradition. Other people want to make up their own thing or kind of make some hybrid or, or do four things at once. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say in a recreational setting. If, like, if I was at a concert and one of my friends was eating like eight grams of mushrooms, I'd be like, eh, do not do bro, that. I don't, I don't necessarily want to be around you. <laughs> like if this is what you're trying to do, cause you're going to be, you're going to be an asshole in a, yeah. in a little, in a little bit. As my cousin, um, as my cousin would say, space, cause you know, that's, that's what you call a classic tender foot mistake. <laughs> that's what my cousin would say, but anybody who's down <laughs> to gobble eight grams, I don't know. Maybe they're not such a tender foot that that's, that's funny. <laughs> this kind of, this, com- this discussion kind of link leads me into a segues me into a question that I had for you that I often find myself asking myself. Um, so how has running a successful psychedelic centric business model affected your psychedelic experience? Like your personal psychedelic experiences have to be affected by the, by your own conceptualization of the idea that you are a psychedelic podcaster, content creator, researcher, explorer in the public eye that has to have some sort of effect on your own personal psychedelic. I would assume, can you speak to that at all? Yeah. So I was, I just a couple months ago wrapped up a 15 year software career <clears throat> and now I'm full-time psychedelics today, which is really cool. Um, that has been the biggest shift for me. Um, before that working two jobs, like constantly hustling was like certainly killing me and, and made for a lot of anxiety and made for some, you know, relatively uncomfortable come ups and trips. Um, but you know, not necessarily that bad. Um, I get a little nervous that people are going to recognize me while I'm high once in a while, yeah. uh, which is pretty funny um, to think like that. You know, we had a like the top ever psychedelic concert last year at Red Rocks in Denver, um, Spangle, and I ate like plenty of mushrooms there. And um, <laughs> I probably knew about a hundred people in the audience, and I was like, I I can't see anybody. <laughs> For most of it, you know, by the end of the night, I was just like a, you know, the train wreck that ate eight grams that I was just talking about, but, yeah. <laughs> um, close, close. Yeah. Uh, 
but it was, it was about as fun as possible. So like, I don't know, it's this balance. I can't really say it's changed me a lot, but I can say that having studied psychedelics since 2001 has probably been the biggest thing. So like I can somewhat identify what I'm going through. Um, and kind of come up with what might be an appropriate reaction to this yeah. um, thing um, for me in the current situation. So, yeah, I, I can't really say it's changed my trips a lot, but I can say it's certainly informed my responses in the moment a little bit. And then like how I want to reflect on them later and then what I want to share and not share, right? Like, there's going to be things I'm not going to share in public ever. Sure. But, um, yeah. Well, what about things like this? So for instance, myself, I, um, I am generally of the ilk of having larger dose, more intense, um, psychedelic experiences, but I generally like them spread out over time. Like when I have a very intense experience, That's smart. Thank you. Uh, when I have a very intense experience, I often don't feel the need. In fact, I often feel the opposite sensation is that I need a, a, a good length of time in order to integrate or to sit with this experience or to hash it out, whatever, what have you. Um, and so now that I've kind of, I've run, I've run a podcast for two years, but I just recently switched over and kind of focused it into the psychedelic arena, entheogens, plant medicines, whatever you want to call them. <clears throat> Um, I feel kind of this own, maybe this is just one of my own insecurities coming up, but like, I don't take psychedelics enough to be, um, talking to people about them, researching them, studying them, learning about them. Um, so sometimes I feel that kind of, uh, criticism for myself and it's uncomfortable, but then I think this is your own journey. Like this has been working for you for 15 years. Why now? Because you've decided to create something that's in the public eye. Do you feel differently about this? So that's just kind of something that since I've started working on the podcast has kind of um, materialized in my psyche, oddly enough. Like if you're going to be preaching all the benefits and ther therapies that psychedelics have to offer, you should be taking psychedelics more often. Not necessarily true, man. Um, like some of the top researchers in the world are not eating that much psychedelics or using much, much psychedelics, psychedelics and science. Um, I don't like, I think if somebody's doing a trip every other year, that's enough for them to have a voice in this, assuming they're reading books and you're, your term there research, like what is research? Right. Um, I've got a, for lack of a better word, a troll that will say like, if anybody brings up the word research, say, where's your IRB? Like, are you going to an ethics board and, and making sure this is totally sound? It's like, well, I just wanted to ask like five people, some simple questions, like what the fuck, like calm down. And, you know, research could be as simple as reading books or reading like three journal articles, you know, and not even necessarily writing like research is the act of researching, not necessarily writing or contributing. Right. Sure. And it could be anything from reading, like all the books you can get your hands on. Like audible is really crushing right now with psychedelic books, read everything audible has on psychedelics and holotropic breathwork. Just today, the holotropic breathwork book came out on audible. Um, 
So like you can crush out so much amazing material and be more informed about the large scope of the psychedelic world um, that's out there uh, than, than more informed than a lot of people are who are heavily using. Yeah. Um, and it, it's important to not only have your own experiences, but also understand frameworks and theories from other people and, and be somewhat fluid in them, you know, mm-hmm. like imagine the psychedelic person who's totally ignorant of dr- the drug war, yeah. you know, that's pretty tough. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, how, how rounded out is that person? <laughs> yeah. 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 That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. I don't know. I've just, I've thought about it. Uh, I don't know. I heard McKenna, I heard Dennis McKenna one time, he was, he was talking about his life with Terrence and he was, they were asking him, did you ever have any issues with Terrence? Like, did you guys ever butt heads or, you know, cause it always, <laughs> it always seemed like you guys were, you know, so good. And he's like, well, we were brothers. Of course we worked together. We bumped heads a lot. Um, but he was saying like, yeah. he was using one example of a time where Terrence was like touring, speaking, lecturing, what have you doing what Terrence did but he had taken a kind of sabbatical from psych- his own psychedelic use and practice. And he was like, yeah, me and Terrence had this big falling out over it because I was, I was adamant that if you're going to be out sermonizing these things that you need to be using them regularly and you're not using them enough. And then the interviewer is like, well, how-? this is obviously post-mortem. The interviewer was like, well, how do you feel about it now? And he's like, well, I wish I had, like, what was the point of all that? Like, I wish I hadn't brought that into our relationship that, like, it accomplished nothing. Terrence is free to use psychedelics as he saw fit and sermonize them as he saw fit. Um, so anyways, I just thought that was kind of an interesting psychological thing that uh, people who may be using these go through. I know I feel that sometimes, like... Who am I to be sermonizing these things when, you know, every time I go in, I still experience fear and anxiety and then all these other, what you, what people might think as beginner or novice, uh, sensations. Hell no. (laughs) Just be honest about it. Yeah. Just be honest about it. There's, there's harms and risks here too. Yeah. Like we don't need more preachers. Like those are, those should be gone. We need people telling the truth and you know, there are benefits. There's also huge pitfalls. Um, there's, there's weirdo corporate people coming into the space that don't have any shared values. And a lot of people are just celebrating them. It's like, well, yeah, not necessarily the people that we want on our side. Um, and what do we do there? And, and struggling with these really difficult issues is the thing like Terrence McKenna's line, like the real message of psychedelics is to be increasingly comfortable with uncertainty. And so like, how do we like, just look at the global stage right now. Like how do we become comfortable here? Yeah. Um, settle in at this peak, this time of peak uncertainty, like in a lot of ways, um, you know, this time rhymes a little bit with the nuclear crisis with Cuba. Well, I forget what that era was called, but like when the (laughs) Cuban missile crisis and that was just one thing that could have ended the world. Now we have about, you know, 80, (laughs) <laughs> and, um, and it's not going to end the world, right? It's just going to wipe out culture and humanity and, and, you know, possibly make humans extinct. But how do we settle into that when we have the, uh, on the other hand, this huge, huge create creative engine, um, that could solve all of these problems for humanity, you know, when paired with human ingenuity and, 
um, creativity. So, you know, it's, it's just a weird time. Um, and I, you know, as long as you are giving your opinions and, you know, trying to develop yourself, you know, both with education and experiences and whatnot, explorations, generally speaking, like any, anybody should be able to do this. Sure. And then oftentimes in my experiences or in my integration and after, you know, spending time with these things that have happened, I'll, I'll, I'll get to the realization that these fears and these anxieties are natural and normal and that and at some point they were necessary. Now they're not so much necessary, um, but we st I should still be respecting these feelings and emotions and not saying like, not trying to dampen them down and like take their edge off of them. Like that kind of defeats the whole purpose. It's like, if you're having these feelings, then this is what you need to be facing and you don't want to declaw uh, these kind of experiences. It would be like it would be like taking the psychedelic and then having an emergency break to pull. If you had an emergency break to pull, you'd pull it every time before you got to where you needed to be. You know, like we all would. We'd all say, "Okay, I've had enough." <laughs> like there comes that mm -hmm. point um, that you want to escape from those feelings that you perceive to be negative or fearful or painful or whatever, you know, these things that we have negative connotations around. And it's like the psychedelic experiences, like inviting us, like come explore these feelings, feel them, don't run from them. It's okay. Like you're going to feel this, but it's going to go away and you're going to live, you know, <laughs> like I know that you're afraid you're going to die, but you're not going to. Um, and it's kind of like give those feelings the weight that they deserve like don't try to negate them and say oh i take psychedelics i'm not afraid like yes you are <laughs> it's okay too <laughs> so that's just a line of think yeah. that's just a line of thinking that i've been mulling over and really that only i've only kind of been dealing with that like the concept of this this concept of kind of fear and anxiety since my last ayahuasca series and it wasn't that it was very fearful or ang anxiety ridden. It was quite the opposite. It was a uh, very, very intense, like really powerful, powerful, raw set of experiences. Um, but I didn't, ex I didn't have a lot of fear, but it kind of opened the door to like showing me how to manipulate my perspective on like negative and positive and how I can just see things as they are. Like I don't have to assign this deep, uh, this deep, deeper meaning to everything. It's like you can just you can just experience it and then accept it for what it is. You don't have to uh, add all your own kind of weight and baggage to these experiences that you're having. And uh, so since I had that series of kind of interconnected lessons from ayahuasca it's it's been a kind of a, a thematic element in my in my psyche here just like overcoming fear releasing fear maybe not even overcoming it but incorporating it utilizing it and respecting it for what it is you know yeah so there's not really a question in there i'm kind of just investigating around. fear this should be something we do like what is, where is that coming from? Like, why do I have that? 
is it justified? Like, should I be afraid of death? Mm -hmm. Should I be afraid of losing my job? You know, these are questions we need to be asking. Like, um, you know, it's great to have the emotion, but investigating it further is, is I, I think, the fundamental point. This is kind of indicated in Buddhist practice a lot. They just say, okay, where is that coming from? Where's the root of that? Um, I thought the recent episode, I, have you seen Duncan Trussell's new show, Midnight Gospel? Yes, dude. It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Um, episode one kind of talks about this a little bit. Yeah. It's just like what it investigating mind and talking about this kind of Ram Dass like um, meditation called mindfulness. Another forum I've done is Vipassana from Jack Cornfield. Um, it's a Thai Buddhist kind of meditation form. And it's, you know, not, not just similar and it's all just worth doing, right? Like how do we, how do we have these practices outside of the psychedelic experience that can support our psychedelic experience and support our life at the same time? Like, let's just not say like, my whole life is now about LSD. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> you could do, you could say that, but is that really what you want your life to be all about? Yeah. Um, do you want your life to be about love and connection and creativity and fulfillment or a drug that's temporary? Sure. Um, yeah. I was um, in a, uh, I was in a recent, fairly recent, uh, peyote prayer circle with the uh, native American church. That was a very, very special, uh, really, where were you? Uh, here in the Houston area, Houston, Texas, um, there's like a multimodality church that operates here that offers various um, plant medicines and they platform various shamans that travel. Um, and so this particular shaman travels all over the globe, actually, um, but majority through um, Canada back down to Mexico. And uh, he kind of hits different stops as he moves through from what I'm from what I know. But uh, we mm -hmm. had some uh, so we had the peyote ceremony and he's telling us, you know, it was very interesting. It was very similar to like a Southern Baptist style uh, church service, almost oddly enough, which I've talked about in depth previously. But um, he was telling us, you know, what we're doing in here is practice like our, he's like, what we're doing in here is called prayer, but what we're actually doing is practicing for the prayer of our life. Like your life, like the peyote button is, is not your life. It's a teacher. And this is the time where we're going to learn the things that we take into our life. And that's just to kind of speak to what you're saying about using over, maybe overusing psychedelics or what, what I might consider not using them in a proper fashion, which is as a learning tool, as a self-exploration tool, as a tool to be a better person and a better member of community. Um, so he was explaining it in that way. He's saying this, what we're doing tonight is practice for the prayer. Your life is the prayer though. So don't think that, you know, the medicine is powerful. The medicine is the teacher, but you have to enact the teachings or what's the point, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> Right. It's cool to have the experience, but how does it impact your life? Um, is it improving your life? Is it making it worse? Like these are things we definitely have to think about. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I wrote down, man, my tummy is grumbling. <laughs> I, didn't, I skipped breakfast, man. I'm hungry. Uh, so what do you think the future holds for psychedelics today, man? You guys have so much different stuff going on. It's like, I follow you on social media and all that good stuff. And man, you guys are just churning and burning. It seems like. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm listening to Rick Ross um, autobiography right now. The rapper, not not Freeway Rick Ross, that worked for the CIA, but he he had this song "Every Day I'm Hustling." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every day I'm hustling, little, um, and it's like I, I don't know. Like um, we're just trying to figure out how we can have the best impact um, that that feels best for us. And and right now we're trying our best to serve this clinician therapist audience. Um, and, you know, figuring out what that really looks like. Um, we're about to launch a level two training. So right now we have an eight week kind of program that we work people through and it's, it's really substantial. And the way I look at it is it's a foundations course. Like you really need all of this stuff together before you really want to go beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we cover a lot of that and then we're going to a level two where we get more in depth, um, and we're probably going to be creating a full two-year program. It takes a long time to go through, but um, I think it's necessary. Um, and that's going to be our priority. Um, psychedelics today is definitely serving more of the therapist-clinician audience now than it was before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what we're seeing is that MAPS can only handle mm-hmm. training so many people. Um, and the MAPS training is good but I think better is longer. I, I, I think it's just not enough time um, to really produce really great facilitators. It'll, it'll produce good facilitators, but n- not necessarily really great facilitators. Like um, the Groff holotropic breathwork program is two years and it requires a lot of self-development and exploration. And that's kind of what we want to, we want to and really leverage the theories of Groff. Um, go into other people with depth psychology backgrounds. And yeah, I think that's the long and short, like CIIS is another institution offering training for psychedelic therapists, but um, they have to sign a pledge that they're never going to break the law. Um, I think we're not making anybody sign that pledge. Um, (laughs) It's also only a six month program. So, you know, again, we want to go beyond that Mm -hmm. um, cap at six months and just try to make the best training we can. You know, we're, we're not super rich. Like we're, we're just getting by. Um, and we're trying to strike this balance of value and, um, also allowing ourselves to pay rent and whatnot. Sure. Can you, uh, perhaps briefly overview kind of what your training entails without, you know, overly, um, divulging what you guys are doing or whatever. Can you, can you give us a brief overview of that, what that looks like? So our site, psychedeliceducationcenter.com, we've got two free classes up there. Um, one called Spiritual Emergence or Psychosis. Um, another one on eight common psychedelic mistakes, totally free. People should check that out. Um, we've got a $50 training called a DMTX Psychonaut Training Webinar. I don't know if you've heard of this stuff, but it's the IV DMT yes, thing that could it. last for hours, uh, which is really interesting. And um, so in our... Um, clinicians training. So we, we talk harm reduction. We talk, um, you know, classes of drugs. We try to debunk some common myths. Um, so we go over like tryptamines, phenethylamines, deliriance. Um, we talk a little bit about neuroscience, like how to prep for a session. Um, you know, what is this thing? HPPD or HPDD. Do you know about this hallucination persistent disorder or something like that? Yeah. Yes. I am 
familiar with the term. I'm aware of what it is. Uh, I kind of like flashbacks, but it's so rare. Yeah, I've. But we need to talk about it because people need to know that it's a risk. Yeah, I've heard um, of it, and I've and I've I have a cursory knowledge of what it is, but I haven't delved into it much deeper than that. So you know, setting up, set and setting doses and toxicity. Um, you know, what is a difficult experience and how to work with it. Um, theories of Stan Groff about birth perinatal matrices, um, self-care practices. And we've got like, this is just the beginning of it. And we've got about 10, I don't even remember how many, 10 to 20 different masterclasses from other experts in different sub aspects of the field. Mm -hmm. Um, and those come with the course as well. So, um, we've got clinical psychologists, we've got master's level clinicians doing a lot of facilitation that share. We've got some underground people to contribute. It's a, it's a really substantial thing. And even people who are like lawyers and doctors at the same time, contributing their opinions about like how to stay safe as a clinician, not lose your license, all that kind of stuff. It's a really big course. That is Um, uh... eight weeks is probably just enough. Like probably should go to 12 really. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really good thing you're doing, man, because I myself have been interested in considering learning more about the possibility of becoming a facilitator or following that path and just gathering information about how that would be possible and legal and ethical and all these different things. It's like, it's almost impossible to find that kind of information. Um, so that you guys are, compiling that and offering resources for people to ask, uh, to, uh, access that. I think that's going to be very helpful for the expansion of, of the entire kind of, you know, there are a lot of people who want to do this, but it's just, it's difficult to put the pieces together, you know? And, uh, and there's legal angles now too. Yeah. So, um, never discount cannabis as a psychedelic agent don't discount ketamine as a psychedelic agent or, um, salvia divinorum. Um, you just watch the salvia episode by Hamilton Morris on Hamilton's pharmacopoeia. And you'll say, okay, this is, this is a drug that was kind of just made to look goofy on YouTube, but there's some serious stuff we can do with this drug and, or plants. And we don't even, we haven't even really scratched the surface on that yet. So, there's legal angles right now. And, you know, you're a short hop, skip and a jump away from Jamaica being in Houston. There's mm-hmm. direct flights all the time, yeah. you know, when, when there are direct flights. Yeah, right. um, um, <laughs> so, you know, you're very close to a legal country with mushrooms. Yeah. Um, so like, what does that, you know, what does that mean? You know, what can you do with that? And does that democ- does that help you figure out how to safely approach this stuff? And, you know, maybe, and, you know, education can also do it. Yeah. You know, if people aren't sure that they want to take our training, just listen to our podcast. Like, just listen to us. It's fine. It's free. Right. I don't necessarily need to sell you anything. It's just, you know, tune in and learn. Yeah. Get a lot of great experts out there helping. Definitely. Uh, I mean, you guys, like I said early in the show, have been one of the inspirations for me to even focus in this direction. And I love you guys' work. And, yeah, it's very um, – it's different than any other – uh, psychedelic centric or plant medicine and whatever you want to call it centric podcast in that it's in my mind, it's the most well backed up. You guys have, I, I don't know. You guys just have 
strong guests. You guys do good research. You guys just do really good work. It's not like you're you're gonna listen to psychedelics today and you're gonna get uh, like trip reports from homie the clown down the street. You know, <laughs> like that, that's all well and good. That stuff's fun, uh, but uh, your guys's stuff's just a little bit deeper dig and and you uh, curate it very well. So. Thank you. Just to blow. Worth noting, Kyle has a master's degree in clinical mental health and somatic psychology, along with an undergrad in transpersonal psychology. So he's got this knowledge set that's really helpful. Um, You know, mine's more philosophical, um, exploratory. I've spent time with the Western esoteric tradition, like, you know, magic and whatnot. So, like, I've got a different angle um, and different experience sets. So, like, there. It's just a good pair. You know, he and I work very well together on the project. I agree. I agree. And uh, I'm, I've am i chatted with him briefly. We're going to get him to uh, come on the show too soon. Um, so, yeah, I'm super happy to have uh, been able to get in contact with you guys. And once again, um, I thought it would be more difficult to get to you, but it was pretty easy. And you've been super uh, cool and um, accommodating. So I really appreciate that. Um, we're close to an hour now, so you probably got stuff to do. You want to, uh, plug any final, you want to tell our listeners about any final things in the psychedelic, uh, psychedelics today world that they should know about or personal projects or have you pretty much said it all? (laughs) (laughs) So psychedelicstoday.com, uh, we've got a couple books for sale at psychedelicstodayshop.com, an integration workbook and a trip journal. You can get hard copies on Amazon. Um, when, when the world returns back to a a somewhat functional state, we'll have in-person events around the country. Hopefully, um, I would love to do some internationally as well. Um, and yeah, again, check out our free offerings over at psychedeliceducationcenter.com. We've got some good free classes and our podcast is also free. So check that out. We, we offer consultations too, if you want, um, to help demystify how to get into this field, just, you know, hit us up and and try to book us for a consultation. We're happy to do that with you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Joe Moore of Psychedelics Today podcast and various other projects. Um, I'm Clayton Kaylee, your host of Psychedelic House. Man, I really appreciate you doing the show with me today. Hopefully, like I tell uh, all these other cool guests that I record with, we'll meet someday IRL. I would love to eventually run into you guys out there in the real world. Post COVID. Houston's on the map, man. I'd love to be down there. Dude, come on down, bro. We'll put you down. All right, man. Thanks for doing the show. We'll catch you next time. Peace. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, a fascinating interview with the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Moore of Psychedelics Today. Once again, I cannot be more thankful for you coming on the show, sharing your thoughts and opinions and a lot of great information for our guests here at Psychedelicast. Thank you so much, Joe. Um, I'm feeling kind of self-conscious about my breath sounds coming through on that recording. Not sure what to do or what to think or feel about that. So you know what? I'm going to just let it go. I hope you guys enjoyed the content there. Uh, Breathing, heavy breathing sounds notwithstanding. I don't know why it came through like that in certain spots, but whatever. Shit happens. Um, Once again, guys, subscribe to the show. Share it with your friends and family. Uh, engage with us engage with us on the social medias and you know just man come hang out with us chill with us be a part of our of our gang of cool kids and take psychedelic drugs no i'm just kidding we don't promote that here we uh promote knowledge safety health 
and insight into the psychedelic experience. That's what we promote here. Let's do our quote. We're going to let you guys go. Thanks for sticking with us for a long one. And today we're going to offer you a quote from one of our all-time favorite quotees or quoters, whichever conjugation is correct. I'm unsure. Uh, Mr. Terrence McKenna, or as I like to call him, Terry Mack. Through psychedelics, we are learning that God is not an idea. God is a lost continent in the human mind. That continent has been rediscovered in a time of great peril for ourselves and our world. Is this coincidence, synchronicity, or a cruelly meaningless juxtaposition of hope and ruin? Thank you once again for joining us, Psychedelicasters, and as always, we greatly appreciate you for spending time with us in attempting to pry open the third eye. We love you. See you next time. <laughs>